Welcome to the Playbook for Amazon podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lieber, and the goal of this podcast is to share what's working today that's helping my company, Turnkey Product Management, sell over eight figures per year on Amazon for our clients. We will share with you the actionable steps, systems, and playbook that you can plug into your business to boost your sales on Amazon. Let's go. Do you want to sell your business one day? Well, I've sold two businesses in my past, and I'm going to share today some of the biggest lessons learned, some of them are painful lessons that could have saved me a lot of time or made me a lot more money, and I think that it'll really be helpful for a lot of you out there. Regarding selling your business, even if you're thinking, no, I'm not planning to sell my business anytime soon, the time to prepare your business to be sold, in my opinion, is yesterday, and the next best time to do it is today. And the reason is that it takes time to actually prepare your business to be sold. You don't just decide one day, okay, I want to sell it now, because there's a lot of things that you need to put in place that will make your business a whole lot more sellable. So the best time, even if you're not planning to sell for three years from now, is right now. And I can tell you some of those things that you should start putting into play in your business so that you can be ready to sell at any point in the future. So it'll be a really fun episode. I think it'll be really valuable for a lot of you. So let's jump in. All right, so I've sold uh, two businesses. I sold one in 2017 and then I sold another one this year. And that business, I was no longer an operational partner. I was just a silent partner in that business that I helped start a couple of years ago. And so I'm gonna share the lessons learned that will save you a lot of time and money. But first, I just want to cover in a little bit more detail why you should prepare your business to be sold now, even if you're not planning to sell it for three years or five years, or even if you don't plan to ever sell it. I'll give you a couple of reasons. So number one, you simply don't know what might happen in your life in the next few years. You might have some sort of life event that you need the financial capital in order to tackle whatever issues that you have going on in your life. And so, you know, your business can be one of your biggest assets that you have. And in an emergency, if you needed to liquidate and get some cash, that might be one of the best places for you to sell whether you do, you know, sell the whole business or sell a portion of the business. And so you never know what might happen, right? And the other thing is that the reason it's good to be ready to sell is that I would bet that most of you listening, because I was in the same boat, you're probably not ready to sell right now. There's probably at least one of the things that I'll talk about today is missing from your business. And therefore, if you needed to sell the company, you wouldn't actually be ready. No one would want to buy it. Or if they did, they'd be able to buy it at a very big discount because you don't have those those factors in place. Lastly, All these things that I'll cover today are important and ideal to have in your business. And some of them will take a lot of time to to set up. It might take a few months to really get these things dialed in and may, may take years. Some of them are very quick fixes, but some of them will take a lot of time. You'd rather, in my opinion, know that now so that you can start putting a plan in place rather than wait until you need to sell the business in a fire sale and the business is not ready to sell. And so uh, those are some of the things that come to mind. And then also a lot of these things that I'm talking about today, they're actually just great business principles that will make your business more sound, more profitable. They'll make you sleep better at night because you have these things 
in place. It, you'll just be a more financially sound and safe and predictable business, which even if you never sell it, these things that I'm talking about will, will just make you a better, stronger business and will make you more money along the way. Okay, so let's jump in. So first, I want you to just ask yourself, when you started your business, your brand, you know, launched your first product, what was your goal? What was your end goal? For me, it actually wasn't to ever sell a business. I didn't even really know that was really a, a possibility for me for the small business that I was launching at the time. I, I just wanted to simply make a full-time income because I was working another full-time job for a consulting company, and, and that was my personal goal. I just wanted to make cash flow and make income so that I could provide for my life. And so that was my goal. But then as things evolved and after a few years, the business grew to a level and then you start hearing about other people selling their businesses and then you see the opportunity. And then what happened for me is I was managing multiple businesses at the time. And because I got shiny object syndrome and then you know someone wanted to partner with me on a business here and then I wanted to spin off this business here. So all of a sudden I was managing three different businesses all at once. And so that's kind of tip number one is when you're managing that many businesses, in my opinion, I just didn't have the bandwidth and the stress capacity to be able to manage all three businesses. So what happened was is all three businesses were growing at an equally crappy rate. <laughs> None of them were taking off versus if I had just focused on one business, it would have grown a lot faster. And I've mentioned in a prior episode, but Ryan Rand was interviewing Jeff Hoffman and he said, just get a gold medal in one thing. Don't try to get a gold medal in six different events. No one can do that other than maybe like Michael Phelps. Or I decided to uh, really focus on one business. And so that's why I, I tried to exit one business at a time to consolidate because I only wanted to focus on turnkey product management because that's that was a business I enjoyed the most and saw the longest term profitability and trajectory for what, what I wanted in my life. And so one tip I would give is that if you are planning to sell a business one day, it probably makes sense to really try to focus most of your efforts on one business and, and grow that as big as you can and then sell that rather than try to manage five different businesses. Okay, so next, I'm gonna talk about some of the lessons that I learned in selling my business. So when I went around the selling process, I actually was advised first to read the book called Built to Sell. And that was a really, really uh, great book. I would highly, highly recommend it to anybody. And so that book, Built to Sell, I think it's by John Warlow, I believe. And that, that book really changed my perspective and helped me realize that my business was not ready to sell. And one of the tips that they give is to talk to like a business broker. And so that's what I did. And I talked to a few. And when they looked at it with me, they actually said, you know, Jeff, your, your business is not ready to sell right now. I they would not recommend selling it because I was missing some of these things that I'll talk about. And that was really nice that he said that. So then I went back and, and uh, went to the drawing board and then got these things cleaned up. Let's cover those things. So number one, the first thing that uh, my broker pointed out was that my bookkeeping, my numbers were not cleaned up to the point where a buyer would be able to you know, understand them and confidently purchase that business. I was just doing kind of my own bookkeeping in Microsoft Excel. I took a accounting class in college back in the day, thought I could do it, thought it would be cheaper. But at the end of the day, like <laughs> I would never do my books on time. You know, I'd do it like once or twice a year. 
And it was a, an unhealthy way to run the business. Anyways, you should be trying to close out your financial you know, income statement and numbers every month, in my opinion, or quarterly at a minimum. And so basically, I actually had to go back through and figure out how to go back through three years of bookkeeping and, you know, and clean it all up and put it into an accounting software because it was just in Microsoft Excel in these spreadsheets that I had built, which is a terrible, terrible idea. And so if you are currently following a similar model to me at that time, I would highly recommend that you use an accounting software like QuickBooks or Xero or, you know, there's a lot of softwares out there that are great. And I would recommend that you get a bookkeeper that can do it for you and do it very affordably. I have a very good bookkeeper that actually specializes in sort of Amazon related bookkeeping. And so I was referred to him by a friend. Like I just said, hey, you know, here's the situation. I've got three years of books that I've got them in Excel sheets, but I need you to put them into an accounting software and categorize everything correctly, clean it up. They gave me a great quote and I, they just, you know, it took them a month or something like that. And then a month later, boom, I had clean books ready to go. So if you're in that position and that would be helpful for you, like feel free to reach out to me or uh, on our website and request that because like having those books cleaned up, you, you have to have that in place or no one will buy your business. So that's number one. Number two is in the beginning of the sales process. So when after I hired a broker, right, I, I interviewed a few different brokers, felt really good about and it was actually the one that told me, Jeff, you're not ready to sell. He said, you need to go do X, Y, and Z, and then come back to me when you do those. And then that's exactly what I did. So I really appreciated that he didn't want to just sign on the dotted line right then and, and lock me in. And he basically turned me away, which, which made me respect him. And then I followed his advice, and then I ended up using him to close. And so once we actually went to market, and he helped me prep a, a nice, beautiful sort of sell sheet for my business, we launched onto the market. And what happened was we immediately, I think we got 70 inquiries in the first week after we, after we you know, were posted on their website and they emailed it out to their lists because they've got a ton of buyers and that was awesome. And then so he immediately lined up and he vetted them and then he lined up three or four calls with potential buyers in that first week. And so we jumped on calls. They're basically asking questions about the business and then immediately uh, we, we got two offers in the first week and one offer was actually over the asking price. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, at first I thought we, we priced it too low, but then I was like, well, that's okay. You know, like this guy's going over asking price. He wants to lock it in is what I thought. And so we went for it. And then, so basically quickly drafted up a, an asset purchase agreement was what we did. The buyer sent it over. It was their purchase agreement, sent it over to me. Um, and I <laughs> hardly even really read through. I just saw the, the purchase price really and said, okay, great, let's, let's, let's do it. And so we went on to the next part where, you know, basically at that point I kind of accepted his offer, but it was pending due diligence. So he was allowed to do due diligence. And with the way that the contract was written, basically they could get out of the deal for any reason in due diligence. So if they saw anything that they didn't like in the due diligence process, or if they just simply changed their mind, they could get out of the of the deal and no cost to them. Because this is what the buyers had proposed. And so that's exactly what happened. And so we went into due diligence, they start requesting documentation, you know, our Excel sheets and numbers and profit and loss and all that. We give it to them. 
and you know about 20 or 25 days goes by and in this time because i had basically accepted their offer pending due diligence we had to take the business off of the market so now the you know status of my business said offer pending you know and so that scared off a lot of buyers and buyers stopped lining up calls and so 25 days later that buyer ended up just dropping out for no reason didn't even get on a phone call just said oh no longer interested in in the business thanks and withdrew their offer and we're looking at it and you know they were allowed to do that per the contract that they gave us and so you know one of the biggest lessons that i could recommend is that in order for someone to make an offer and where you have to take it off of the market i would require that they put down a non-refundable deposit you know it depends on the size of your business but i would say at a minimum do a thousand dollar non-refundable deposit but you know it might be one percent or five percent of of the value of your business as far as a non-refundable deposit yes this will scare off some looky-loo buyers some window shoppers but that's because there's a lot of people out there that will just simply make offers on say they'll just send in a bunch of lowball offers on say 50 different businesses in a given month not actually seriously considering buying any of them they just want to see which ones they can get that are interested then they'll start doing their due diligence process so it's okay to let them make an offer on your business but you want to rec- if you want them to take your business off the market and go into serious due diligence and sign a, an agreement pending due diligence that's when I would say, look, we require a non-refundable deposit and maybe for a thousand bucks or five thousand bucks. And they may say, No, I'm not I'm not doing that. I don't want to give you a you know deposit. I have you know, I haven't even really dove into your numbers yet. I haven't looked at your profit and loss. And so then what I would say is, and th- again, this is just my opinion, but I would say, okay, yeah, you can absolutely look through my financials and you can ask any questions that you want. I would just make them sign an NDA and say, you know, you know, you can't disclose any of this. This is confidential. But yeah, ask any questions that you want. You know, I'm going to be 100% transparent with you. And that's what it is. And so that did scare off one buyer. He said, no, I don't want to do that. And so then another buyer came along and, and he, you know, made an offer. And so we said, okay, well, it's a, I think we said a $2,500 non-refundable deposit. And so then they said, okay, well, you know, we need to see your financials first. We gave it to them. So then they did due diligence. They asked a bunch of questions. It took about a week. But by the end of that week, we'd answered all their questions and they felt really, really good. They basically did their due diligence in that week. And then they were comfortable enough and said, okay. And then they they wired us a $2,500 deposit. And that was enough. And that's the buyer that ended up buying the business because, the end of the day, once we went into the official due diligence uh, to close the sale of the business, I think they truly didn't want to walk away from 2500 bucks that they'd given us. So they took it very seriously and it was a serious offer and they were actually wanted to buy the business and they did. They followed through. I think that's a really, really important feature when you do list your business for sale. So next, I want to talk about that there are a couple of features that will increase the multiple, like the value of your business. And one of the key things that you can do is to have multiple sales channels where you're getting sales for your business. If you are 100% on Amazon and 100% of your sales are on Amazon and you don't even have any Shopify or website sales, 
I would say that, you know, that will definitely hurt the valuation of your business. You may not get as high of a multiple when you sell your business. When I sold my first business, we were heavily on Amazon. We had 96% of our sales on Amazon. And then we had, I believe, you know, the last 4% was split between our website, our Shopify store and walmart.com. And then we were on chewy.com, which was like a pet specialty website. Even though 4% is nothing, you know, it's, it's, it seems small. That really, I believe, I don't think the buyers would have bought the business if it was 100% on Amazon. And they wouldn't have offered the same multiple if it was 100% on Amazon. Because just the fact that I had already done the legwork for them to set up a nice looking Shopify store and to go through the process of getting listed on Walmart. And, you know, we had a few months of sales there and it was growing that painted the vision for them that, okay, this is, this is a relatively safe business because, you know, there's so much opportunity with those other channels. And so if God forbid, Amazon somehow, you know, went away or got suspended or sales tanked on Amazon, at least they've got those other channels set up. And so that could be the difference between getting a three times multiple and a four times or four and a half times multiple when you sell your business. Okay. So next in your business, it will increase the multiple that you can receive when you sell your business if you can have uh, any portion of recurring revenue, whether that's subscribers you know, that are on a subscription, whether it's Amazon subscribe and save, or if you have a subscription service or offering on your website, or if you just have repeat customers, like trying to increase the repeat customer rate and having those numbers and having that data and, and you can show the buyers and say, look, 20% of our total customers buy from us once every three months. If you have that data, that is more predictable revenue for them and that will increase the value of your business. And then next, this is back to when you go to launch your business for sale. This is why I recommend getting this part dialed in and this is the part that will take a few months at a minimum. If you are not able to remove yourself from the business for say two months or one month, like to go on a pure vacation and the business could not run without you, then I would argue that your business is not very sellable, okay? So a buyer, anyone that wants to buy your business, they are going to want to know that it will be easy to take over the business from you and keep running it. If it's not easy for them and they can't see that vision, then they're just going to be scared off, right? Is the business like 90% reliant on you as the business owner? That's, that's a bad thing if that's the case and no one's going to want to buy that. So that's why you want to have the team and the systems in place that you know a buyer could take over that business and it would keep running as, as you know, business as usual. And so that's just one of the biggest things. And that's one of the hardest things to do as well, right? I, 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 we talk to so many business owners all the time and they, they maybe have one or two you know, employees or part-time or a virtual assistant. And that business is going to be very, very hard to sell if, if that's the case, uh, in my opinion, or at least to sell for a high multiple, right? And the other problem is that if you are you know, stuck in the business and you're the mastermind behind it and driving it all, and you're doing a lot of the work, when someone buys your business, they might require you to stay on as like an employee, basically, for the next year or two or, or three years. Uh, I've seen it happen before because that was the case. They, they weren't uh, removed from the operations of their business. 
And so the owner was forced to stay with the sale or do some sort of an earnout sort of deal. And so the more you can remove yourself from the operations of the business and have the team and systems in place, that's one of the easiest ways to increase your multiple. And then also one other tip for how to achieve that if you don't have that in place is number one, start by just taking inventory of what tasks are you doing? Are you still doing for the business that only you can do right now, right? Maybe it's product sourcing, right? Maybe you're the only one that knows how to talk with your suppliers, right? In China or wherever you're sourcing products. Maybe you're managing Amazon pay-per-click advertising because no one on your team can do that. So it's identifying what are those roles that you're still doing yourself and are relying on you. And it just starts by documenting them. And what you can do is just like simply take a screen share video using a free software like Loom or Zoom or something like that. And just start documenting and narrating as you're completing tasks and do a video recording of you doing it. And then you can hand it off to a team member and ask them to write down the steps and then try to emulate what you did and then check up with them and watch them do it over their shoulder and then let them do it on their own. And so that's sort of the process. It will take time to do that, but at least try doing it with at least one or two of your biggest kind of bottlenecks that you know deep down that the business is reliant on you to complete. Another option is when you hire experts at certain things that are in your business and operating the business, then it's truly not reliant on you anymore, right? Because you don't have to train them. And so if you're running, say, Facebook ads for your business and you're managing those ads and no one else is and no one else can on your current employee role, then again, you're going to be stuck. So one thing you can do is go hire a Facebook ad expert or go hire a Facebook ad agency that can just simply take that over, right? Same with Amazon. If you are stuck managing a lot of Amazon and managing PPC and, and you're you know the mastermind orchestrating it all, then you can hire an Amazon expert or an agency, right? You can hire a company like ours, like some of our companies that come to us, they say, we want to sell our business in the next six months, but we don't have a team in place. So they, they hire us to manage it, take over the operations of the Amazon side, and we help grow the business as well. And then now the owner is no longer uh, involved in the operations of Amazon. You know, so that's another easy way is you can hire a couple different agencies in different areas that way, when a buyer is interested in purchasing the business, you can say, hey, we've got teams and companies and experts managing you know, these five things. Amazon is 100% managed by this company. Facebook ads is managed by that person or that company. Now your business is a lot more sellable because when a buyer buys it, they have the option to keep the agency and the experts on. They may be like, okay, well, if it's profitable and and it's working, then we'll try keeping the agency on and see how, how that goes. So that's that's actually the quickest fix is just to go hire an expert in those roles. So you don't have to train them and document, here's how you you know manage Amazon ads, right? So that's a really big tip and hopefully that will be helpful for you. The next tip I would say is when the buyers come to you and you're, they're interviewing you and they're asking questions about the business, try to put yourself in their shoes. What would they want to hear, right, if you were buying your own business. And so one thing that kept popping up was that the buyers would ask, what are your plans if you were not selling the business? If you wanted to double or triple the business, what would you do 
you know, in the next year or three years to grow it? And I thought that, man, that's a really great question. And so I really sat down and I actually wrote, wrote out, I think like a four page sort of business plan that was like a three year vision business plan. It was only a couple of pages. It took a few hours. I just had a bunch of different ideas, right? You know, and they were kind of a lot, you know, we all have those ideas that we want to do to grow the business, but we just haven't gotten around to. And so it was kind of fun to just put those down on paper and say, well, here's what you guys should do, right? So it's like, oh yeah, we should, you know, Facebook ads, we're not even running those, right? And so that's a huge opportunity, growing walmart.com and doing a video shoot. And, um, you know, I made a list of all these ideas that uh, another business that had, you know, the bandwidth and the capital and the team and capability to do all those things. So when they read that, they're like, wow, those are 10, 10 different ideas that, you know, even if we apply one or two of those, that will grow the business, right? So if you can paint that vision for the buyer that this business is going to keep growing, it's not, you know, going to just be business as usual. It's not going to go down. Business is growing. They want to buy a business when it's on the way up, not on the way down. And that would be a good exercise again for you to have, even if you're not selling the business, do you have a plan in place for if you wanted to double the business this year, you know, what can you do and then prioritize those ideas yourself? Okay, so um, another thing that I would recommend, highly recommend, is when you launch your business for sale and you officially put it on the market, if you can create like a feeding frenzy when you launch, right? Like I said, when I launched, we had over 60 or 70 inquiries, people contacting us directly for our business and were interested in buying it and had all these phone calls in, in a, you know, a week or two week period. And so I was sitting in a position of power to the buyers. So if a buyer made a low ball offer, what I thought was low ball, I think at one point we had, yeah, four or five different offers on the table all at once. And so I was able to go back to all of the lowest offers and say, Hey, sorry, but I've got an offer, you know, from a serious buyer at x dollar amount so you either need to match it or you know it's not not worth uh moving forward and so we got a couple of the buyers to then raise their bids right and now we, we were kind of creating a bidding war and that was really really helpful another reason to do that is that during due diligence it can be common that the buyers will then try to lower their offer during due diligence you know they might say oh well, like you know as they dug deeper into the financials they now don't agree with their original valuation for whatever reason they want to lower the offer by five percent and if you don't have those other offers that you had before or at least interested buyers and you you know this is the only person you've talked to about selling your business you have zero leverage and they can probably smell that a mile away and you know they might try to do that to you and so that's why you can be in a position of power and say, sorry, you know, I don't accept your 5% price reduction. Like I said, I've got 70 interested buyers, five other offers, and I'll, I'll take my business to them. And so it just gives you more of a position of power in case that happens. Those are some of the most important things. And again, I'm not an attorney or a broker professional. I'm just simply sharing what my experience was. So make sure you consult a professional when you're considering all of these things. The one last thing that I like to say on, on that topic is I would recommend that you try to keep the attorneys or lawyers out of the process in the very early beginning, okay? So one of the buyers that, that came to us with an offer, I think we sent them purchase agreement and then they immediately like had their 
attorneys redline it and go through the document and tear it up and add in all this stuff. And then once they brought in their attorney, well, then I felt like I didn't want to get taken advantage of. So then I had to go bring in my attorney to review their changes because they're putting all this lawyer language into the agreement. And we hadn't even agreed yet to just the high level terms of what's the purchase price? Is there a royalty? Is, you know, how will the payment schedule go? So I would say really try to just communicate directly with the buyers on the high level stuff first, like the bullet points of, you know, the summary of the offer and agree with them on the points and negotiate that stuff directly with the buyers of what you guys think is fair. Once you have that part like dialed in and you guys kind of agree, then, you know, yeah, I would recommend that you do hire an attorney to make sure you, you, you read through the whole you know, purchase agreement or whatever sort of agreement that you're using because you do want to make sure that there's, you know, liability clauses in there and protections and warranties and all that sort of legal jargon that, that should be in those contracts that protects both you and the buyer. That's all, you know, good. But just, I would say, try to, if you bring them in too early, it will, you know, the back and forth between the attorneys and contract revisions, because attorneys also, they take five days to review a document usually, right? Or longer. And so it can take months to, to just simply come to a simple agreement and it might actually ruin the deal. Because if you lose that momentum, and that excitement over the deal, I mean, the deal may, might fall through. So one last thing I'll say again, related to the feeding frenzy, is that's why I recommend that you use a really good broker that you feel good about, like a broker that has sold similar types of businesses to what your business is, right? Like I would not recommend hiring a real estate broker to sell e-commerce business, for example, right? Because they don't have a list of buyers that are interested in you know websites or e-commerce businesses so i highly recommend choosing a good broker that has a good side like ask the broker like where where are you going to get the buyers from how many buyers do you think you can you know get to be interested in in our business how many offers do you think you can get because again you want to create that feeding frenzy and so i interviewed a bunch of brokers and again i just went with the one that i felt the best about again it was that guy that actually turned me away and said, no, Jeff, you know, you're not ready. Come back to me in three months after you do these three things. I did it. He said, I, I think I can, you know, probably bring you 30 or 40 inquiries in the first couple of weeks. And then we had 70 inquiries in the first, you know, in the first week. I would highly recommend that you use a broker that has an audience versus if you're, if you're trying to go out and just sell it yourself because you want to save a broker commission. I mean, you can do that, but in my opinion, like it's going to be hard. How are you? How I have no idea how I would go get five offers from people in a, in a one week period. I, I could not do that on my own uh, unless that was my full time job, which it's not. And if you want that contact that broker or or I can give you the, the brokers that I've talked to, because if you are serious about it or if you want to actually talk to him just like I did, I, I actually recommend that you talk to a broker not when you're ready to sell, but many, many months or even a year before you're ready to sell, honestly, because that's, I wish I would have done that earlier because the whole time I was missing, you know, I was missing my bookkeeping, right? I didn't have that in place. I was, the business was reliant on me. I didn't have all the systems in place and ready to go. And I didn't have the team in place. So I wish I would have found that out two years prior. So I could have planned for that and I could have sold the business for a whole lot more money, a whole lot faster. So I would actually recommend that 
you should talk to a broker or brokers at least a year in advance of when you think you might possibly want to sell. I think that's honestly like one of the best conversations and value conversations you should have is with a broker. If you want the broker that I use, feel free to reach out. You can just go to our website at turnkeyproductmanagement.com and just fill out the contact us and say you listen to this episode and you'd like the an introduction to Jeff's broker. But again, no matter who you use, I would recommend that you just go, go talk to someone that's, you know, if, that is a broker that sells businesses and ask them, you know, if you think your business is sellable as it is, or do they have any advice on how to make it more sellable? The last thing that I'll say as far as selling my pet products company, that was the biggest payday that I've ever had in my life. And you can probably relate when you're in an inventory based business, right? And you're selling physical products. A lot of the time, even if you're showing, if you're really profitable on your profit and loss statement, right? And you're like, oh, wow, I made this much money in profits. But that doesn't mean that you have that much money in the bank. That doesn't doesn't always, your profits don't always match up with your cash, right? Because oftentimes your cash is tied up in inventory or being reinvested into marketing or advertising or team, team members, right? Selling your business, it is one way to get a massive you know, cash influx, right? Because you can sell it for a multiple of your profits. That can really be a life-changing uh, amount of money and give you the ability to make a bigger impact on the world or you know, go uh, change your, your focus to places where you want to focus your energy and time on. So it can really be a life-changing event and I hope that you all get to experience it one day. Yeah, and I hope this was of value to you. So, yeah, let me know how it goes or if you learned anything. All right, thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope that you learned uh, some important lessons about how to prepare your business for sale, and I hope that you can all sell your business one day. So just to recap and try to really take it home, think about all the things that I talked about. Is there one or two things that I mentioned that you know you know what, I don't have that in place, right? And maybe you could try to put a plan in place to fix that as soon as possible, right? And when you do go to market, again, make sure that you go with a competent broker that you feel confident in that can help bring you lots of buyers, create a feeding frenzy, and can help protect your interests in the deal. And again, my main takeaway is no matter whether you're selling it, planning to sell it in five years or two years or never, I would still recommend that you go talk to a a professional that sells businesses like a business broker and just have that conversation just 15, 30 minutes and pick their brain and and tell them the state state of your business and ask them, do you think my business is ready to sell today or what do I need to have cleaned up or fixed in order to be ready to sell if I ever needed to sell down the road? Anyways, I hope that this episode was incredibly helpful. You know, these are lessons learned from selling a couple of businesses that, you know, that I think could could save you guys a lot of time and and headache and, and make you guys a lot more money. So I hope this was helpful and thank you so much. Good luck.